Okay, guys, we are, we're in less, lesson 27. We've got one more lesson after this, and then we'll be done with Romans. But we're going to look today at lesson 27. We're going to talk about Paul's labor and his plans. Because remember, he's writing a church who really has never met him yet. Okay, he's never been there. So anybody tells you that Peter and Paul started the church in Rome, that is not true. We've already discussed that. So he's getting back to his original point of why he was writing them, and that's to kind of tell him uh, his plans. So let's look together. We're going to look, first of all, at Paul's ministry in verses 14 through 21 of chapter 15. Now, I myself am confident concerning you, brethren, that you are full of goodness, full of all knowledge, able to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make, to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about Iconium, I am fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. All right, so let's talk about Paul's ministry here. I'm going to try and gain some things from what he's saying uh, that you can even apply to your life and your interaction with each other. First thing I want you to notice is that Paul believes that they were filled with goodness, knowledge, and knowledge to encourage each other. He's making a point here. Remember, he's never met these folks. Now, he's going to go through a list where he's met some of them through his travels. We're going to see that next week. But as far as the church, he's never been there. He's never interacted with this church. Just some individuals. Obviously, this is a big church because it's in the capital. And he's saying this about them. He's saying that he believes that they're filled with goodness and knowledge to encourage each other. What can you, what can you gain from that? Anybody got any thoughts about that? What can you, what's the take home for you and I here? Okay, their reputation preceded them. Okay. All right. What do you think is the application for you and I? I think that that's good, Bruce, but I think there's a greater application. Because you are a believer, who fills you? Holy Spirit. So when you talk about being filled with goodness and knowledge, that comes through who? Holy Spirit. Now, they've been filled with goodness and knowledge to encourage each other. Here's the thing I want you to see. You don't need to learn how to be an encouragement to each other spiritually. You already are there. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're walking with Christ, you have the Holy Spirit within you. You don't need to sit there and say, well, do I need to take a 12-week Bible study to figure out how to encourage people? 
No, you just need to do it. See, when he's express, he's expressing a truth about them. This is the truth that you need to understand about you. We say, well, that's not my personality. Fine, it's not your personality. Great, wonderful. But that does not give you an excuse not to be that type of person to somebody else in the church. You need to be the type of person that encourages people because you're filled with goodness and knowledge. Now, let me just stop for a moment. When I talk about being an encouragement, what do you think that means? What do you think that means? Okay, whatever your brother is going through, help them get through it. Now, Bruce just said it in a generalized way. Because with what Bruce just said, that is a broad sense of what help means. Because for some of you, help may mean, because you're thinking, well, I'm not an encouragement because I'm not a card writer. I don't write cards. Yeah, but let me just stop for a moment. Encouragement isn't just writing cards. Yeah, but I'm not a touchy-feely guy either, George. I, I'm not into going around and just putting my arm around somebody saying it's going to be okay. Fine. It's okay. That doesn't necessarily mean encouragement either, putting their arm around somebody. Being an encouragement and being a help to someone actually means, listen to me, the small things that we do for people. It can be writing a note. It can be putting your arm around somebody. But it could be quietly, like I knew a guy in, in, in my first church in Canada who did this. He would go, if he knew a family was struggling financially, he'd go and buy a couple bags of groceries, leave it on their on their, on their porch, and they wouldn't even know it was from him. And nobody would know. Now, he wasn't the, ooh, give me a hug kind of guy, and he sure wasn't a card writer. But he encouraged that family, did he not? Now, see, this is what I'm trying to say to you. We need to quit thinking in terms of being there for each other in terms of things that we, we'd like to push up and say, oh, that's a great thing to do. You just be you with other people. Do you understand what I'm saying? You just be you and let the Holy Spirit guide you into being the type of person that you are. See, the Holy Spirit's going to use you, you with your quirks, you with your personality, to be an encouragement to people. The question is, is are you going to allow him to do that by responding to him to be an encouragement to people? So what he believes about these people is, and I think it's true for all of us, is that you're filled with the goodness and knowledge to encourage each other. Bottom line, you're filled with that. Let's go on. Paul states that he wrote boldly in order to remind them again. You know, I, I, I've said this before, and I'll say this to you again. I, you guys have got to be weary. You guys have got to be cautious about anybody who tells you they found something new in the Bible. I'm just going to be flat out honest with you. There is nothing new in the Bible. It's been 2,000 years of having, the, having it. There is nothing new under the sun there. Do not listen to some guy that tells you they put it through a computer and found some hidden truths. That is not there. In fact, I read an article that they you, somebody found the Bible code. You know, they put it through the Bible and they pointed to all this stuff. Well, then they put the same thing through with Moby Dick, the book Moby Dick. And they came to some conclusions and, and, they, and it pointed to basically the same things. So don't, don't, don't believe any of that stuff. 
So Paul's saying here, and Peter makes the same point in his epistles, that, you know, in, in, in 2 Peter, Peter says, it's not a burden for me to continually remind you of things. Paul's saying here, I wrote you boldly in order to remind you. Church is about reminding you about certain truths. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because the reality is, is you and I need to be continually reminded, right? What do we tend to forget concerning our spirituality? What are some things that we tend to forget? Anybody? We already have the victory. Anybody else? What do we tend to forget? Think about what the whole letter was about. What was the whole letter about, guys? Salvation. Salvation and the different components of salvation. That's what the whole letter was about. And so now, he's continually reminded. Why do we need to be continually reminded of that? Anybody? Why do you think we struggle? Yeah, the enemy? You'll begin believing lies. That's a big one, lies. And you'll begin to think that you're not accepted with God or God doesn't care for you and things like that. You be, that's a daily struggle. And sometimes you have to be continually reminded that nothing's going to affect your relationship with him. Isn't that true? So, so Paul's talking about, he states that he wrote boldly in order to remind them again. Grace, now he's going to talk about his own ministry. Grace was given to Paul so that he would be a minister to the Gentiles for their sakes. When he talks about grace being given to him, he's talking about the issue of him coming to Christ, about his salvation. Because remember, he was the persecutor of the church. Remember, he, he, he will tell you he's the chief of sinners. The persecutor of the church. And so when he talks about grace being given to him, he's literally talking about, Jesus saved me so that I could be a minister to the Gentiles. And aren't you glad for that? Because if it wasn't for Paul's ministry, folks... Where would we be? Because we're Gentiles. Paul states that he has reason to glory in Christ concerning the ministry to, to the Gentiles. He has reason to glory. In fact, he's going to make it very clear that he's not going to boast about any of his other accomplishments. He's only going to talk about what Jesus did through him. Isn't that interesting? Here's the apostle saying, I'm not going to boast about what I've accomplished. I'm just going to simply talk about what God did through me. Isn't that a contrast to what you and I see on TV, isn't it? I mean, so far have we gone off track where we talk about how great our pastors are or whatever. About how good they are. He's not talking about, I'm not that good, he says. But it's it's what? It's Jesus. That's who I'm going to boast in. All right? So here's here's what he says. Through the power and works of Christ... He preached the gospel throughout Asia Minor. I want you to look with me. Look with me at that verse. Verse 19. In mighty works and wonders by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that from Jerusalem to roundabout Icrillium, I fully preached the gospel. Now, I want you to do what you guys don't normally get to use. We're going to use it today in Sunday school. So look in the back of your Bible at your Bible map. Okay? You know, it's that part of the Bible where you hardly look at, okay? Now, if you want, just find 
one in the back that, that kind of shows Paul's missionary journeys. Now, you're not going to find acrylium on your Bible there. Maybe you have a good Bible, and it will show you that. But I want you to see what Paul is saying here in this verse. He's saying from Jerusalem, which is down here in Palestine, all the way to acrylium, which is up in northern Greece, all the way up across from the boot, if you look from where Rome is, across from the boot, all the way over to acrylium, all the way over there on the, on the, on the Greek peninsula there, he said he ministered the gospel throughout that area. Really? Because we have the record. What, do, what is he saying here? He's saying he's accomplished everything he needs to do in that area. Let me just stop for a moment. Do you think there were thousands and thousands of people there in that area that had never even heard the gospel yet? But Paul's saying, I've done everything I'm supposed to do there. I've done everything I'm supposed to do there. I've preached throughout Asia Minor. What's his point here? What's reflected here is this his strategy. Because you notice when Paul went to these areas, he actually went to the major cities, established churches. And then from those cities, the Christians in those cities spread out to the other areas presenting the gospel. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he accomplished his work. He accomplished his work. So I think that's pretty radical for him to say that. He accomplished his work there. Now, let's go on. His aim. He made it his purpose to preach the gospel where Christ was not named. That was Paul's purpose. Paul was not interested in going and and taking over a work from somebody else. This is why we believe that Peter had not yet started the church at Rome. Because Paul wouldn't have gone there. Paul's saying, it's my purpose not to go somewhere where somebody has already been. So he quotes Isaiah 52.15 in order to support his purpose in ministry. And in this verse, it's talking about, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. That's talking about Gentiles. And to those who have not heard, shall understand. It's talking about, Isaiah is talking about the Gentiles coming to an understanding concerning the Messiah. Now, he's going to give them now his travel plan. So look with me at verse 22 through 29. He's going to talk about his travel plans. Look with me at verse 22. For this reason I also have been much hindered from coming to you. But now, no longer having a place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, I have, I have performed this and have sealed to them their fruit. I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness and the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me 
in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Okay, so let's talk about his travel plans here. First of all, first thing he's going to talk about is, is that they were hindered. Paul was hindered from visiting the Rome because of ministry opportunities. Every time he wanted to get to Rome or go to visit them, he was hindered by other opportunities that arose. And we see that in the book of Acts with his missionary journey there. So he had other opportunities. But here's what he's saying. Now, this is what I think is amazing. He is saying, look at what he says here, there are no longer opportunities for ministry, and he has a long-standing desire to visit them. This is what I think is amazing what Paul is saying here. Do you comprehend what he's saying here? Here's the apostle. He's just starting out. He's had three tours of duty now. He's going to visit these churches. And, and, and you and I know that the church hasn't spread that far. It hasn't, it's not like all of Asia Minor has converted from, from paganism over to Christianity. And Paul is saying, there's no more opportunities for me to minister now. Really? I can come visit you now. There's no more opportunities. Really? Now I want you to think about that for a moment. Let's, let's, let's enter into a thought process here. What's significant about what he's saying here? There's a significance here. What's that? Okay, you're you're kind of like there should be. There's always opportunities. What's he talking about? Okay, that's good, Denny. What, what do you think is the significance here? There's a there's a truth that comes out of this passage. Okay, you have a job to do, and everything isn't your job to do. That is a great, that's tweetable, okay? That, that's, that's like, put that on social media, okay? All right? All right, that's tweetable, Bruce. That's really a good point. Anybody else? What, what do you think is significant here? Build on what Bruce is saying. You have a job to do, but your job isn't everything else. Okay, all right, it's like planting a seed, Danny. Anybody else? Here, here's one thing I'm going to tell you. Okay, Randy? No, no, he's talking about, look, he's, I'm going to tell you the timing of this letter here in a moment. In a moment, we'll see the timing of the letter. But he's saying by this point, when he's writing them, he's getting ready to go to Jerusalem with the offering from the churches. There is no more opportunities for ministry for him. So he can go visit them. That, that's what I'm saying. There's something significant about that because you and I would look at that and say, holy cow, all of Turkey? You, do you know what I'm saying? You're, all of Greece and Turkey? Seriously, are you, there's no more opportunities? What's he talking about here? What do you think is significant there? If you want, I'll tell you. You ready for me to tell you? Okay. Here's what you need to understand. And it, it kind of is parallel to what Bruce said. The need does not constitute a call. Do you understand what I'm saying? The need does not constitute a call. 
How many times have you been, I've been, you know, I've been a Christian now for 30 years, and you hear mission appeal after mission appeal. The, well, we need to go there. There's people who need Jesus. We need to go there. People who need Jesus. Yeah, we need to go there, but you need to go there as God, what, directs you there. Do you understand what I'm saying? Simply because there's a need in an area, even in our own community. We've got a big need in our community. Who's going to reach them? I understand that. We need to pray about that and let God open up the door. But, but here's something. Paul is saying, there's nothing more left for me to do in Asia Minor. Really? If there's anybody who could do great ministry, it's the guy who wrote half of the New Testament, right? And you're saying there's nothing more to do? Here's what I want you to see. The need does not constitute a call. It's sort of like what Bruce was saying earlier. You know, you, you need to be obedient, but your job isn't, you need to do what you're told to do, but not do everything. Do you understand what I'm saying? We don't need to do everything. Isn't that freeing for a church? We need to determine what God wants us to do as a church, but that doesn't mean that we need to do what? Everything. Did you understand what I'm saying? We need to do what we're supposed to do as a church, but that doesn't mean we need to do everything. First of all, I'm going to be honest with you. There's no church that does everything. And the ones that have tried implode because they can't. So, you know, the reality here is is this. Paul is saying there is no longer opportunities for ministry, and he has a long-standing desire to fill it. This is what blows my mind when I read that, because it's so, oh, Lord, how are we going to do this? How are we gonna... You know what? You need to be obedient. God is the one who's reaching the world, folks. Do you understand? You are the vessels in his hand to reach the world. Do what he tells you to do. It's not about whether we determine something. It's what, what God wants to do. Do you, do you understand? It's a difference in focus here. Difference in focus. And if he calls you to go to somewhere, go. Go. Okay, let's go on. Paul tells him that he will visit them and help them when he journeys to Spain. So again, he's sharing his plans here. He's letting them know. Guys, when I'm ready to go to Spain, I'm going to stop by and visit you and help you out. Now, here's how we know the timing of this letter, Randy. If you know the book of Acts, here's how we know the timing of this letter, because here's what Paul's saying to them. Paul informs them that he was first going to Jerusalem to serve the saints there. Now, this is from the book of Acts. This is about chapter, uh, I believe it's about chapter 18, 19, and 20. About that point in the book of Acts, Paul is going to be heading to Jerusalem to take them an offering that the Gentile churches have gathered to help out the saints who are suffering in Jerusalem. If you look in the book of Acts, this is about the timing of that letter. Okay? This is the timing of that letter. So this is the end of his third missionary journey. And Paul states that the Gentile churches collected money for the needy in Jerusalem. We already know that. Paul states, alright, in fact, here, if you look in your, if you want to on your own, your study sheet will have several references there for you. Acts chapter 24, verse 17, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 to 4, 2 Corinthians 8, 13 to 14, chapter 9, 12 to 13, and Galatians 2, 10. All these passages Refer to the, what we're talking about here, 
that Paul was taking an offering. Okay? In fact, some of the passages, like the Corinthian passages, he's telling about who should go with the offering. In fact, that's where we first see the first inclination of what a treasurer should be like. All the way in the New Testament, it talks about a treasurer. Selecting a treasurer. Somebody to, and, and the type of person that should be selected for a treasurer. So he states that the Gentile churches collected money for the needy in Jerusalem. Now, the Gentile churches felt a responsibility to materially help the Jerusalem church. Now, here's what I want you to see. Let's stop for a moment here. Do you think these churches were rich? I know we know the Corinthian church was, but do you think most of them were rich? Now, in fact, the churches in Macedonia, Paul says in, in the letters to Corinthians, had nothing and they sacrificed to help the church in Jerusalem. Had nothing and they sacrificed to help the church. Now, here's what I want you to see about these churches. They felt a responsibility materially to help those in need. Now, here's what I'm, here's what I'm saying. If we want to be a biblical church, you have to be the kind of church that thinks beyond yourself. You have to be the kind of church that thinks even, you say, well, we're struggling. Yeah, you're struggling, but how are we any different than any other church in the New Testament that was struggling? And they still felt it was their responsibility to what? Help others that were away from them, other churches and so forth. See, this is what needs to be a part of our church, is an attitude of wanting to be helpful to other churches around the world. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because just like these churches, there has to be a concern for the needs of others. We can't get totally focused. You know what? When I first came here, okay, I forget. I won't share that. But I'll tell you about others. I, I, I get so tired of hearing about churches that as soon as they get a new pastor, they eliminate the missions budget. And, and, then the, and here's, here's what they say. And usually, typically, the missions budget is typically up to 10%. Sometimes less than that of what the church gives. Typically, it's about 10%. But you'll hear pastors say this, new pastors, oh, you know, we need to, we need to reach out to our own first. Then we could talk about missions. Really? The other 90% of the budget is going to reach out to our own. If we're not doing too good with that, what makes you think the extra 10% is going to help? Did you understand what I'm saying? That's a wrong focus for a church. A church needs to be looking outward. These churches, Paul is saying, these Gentile churches were looking outward and they looked to the church of Jerusalem and said, there's a need there, we can help. And they took up an offering. That's an awesome thing, isn't it? That's an awesome thing. Let's go on. Paul tells them that once he has completed the task in Jerusalem, he will travel to Spain. Now, we know that that didn't happen, right? Because he completed the task. We know from the book of Acts, we're going to see this when we study the book of Acts, that the, the leaders in Jerusalem said, hey, Paul, there's been some, been some scuttlebutt in the church about what you feel about the law and everything. Hey, why don't you go, you know, at this point, Paul has a Nazarite vow. He's let his hair grow. Why don't you go and get your hair cut in the temple, make the, make the appropriate sacrifices so everybody can see that you are following through on the law? Which Paul says, okay, I'll do that. And he pays for a couple of other guys to do the same thing. And, and when he does that, there's a big riot in the temple, Paul gets arrested, and the rest is history. Right. So he never made it to Spain. Never made it to Spain. But he did go to Rome. He did go to Rome. So 
he tells them that once he has completed his task in Jerusalem, he'll travel to Spain. Paul knows that when he comes to them, he will come to them in the fullness of the gospel. What's he talking about, the fullness of the gospel? Here's what he's saying, folks, and I think this is another thing for you and I to learn about how we interact with each other. When he comes to them, he's going to come to them in the grace of the gospel. That's how we should be interacting with each other. We should be interacting each other with the grace of the gospel. What's the grace of the gospel? Jesus saved you in spite of you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus saved you and accepted you in spite of you. It's not anything you did for salvation. Remember, we just talked about the gospel throughout this whole book. Not anything you did is what Jesus did for you. And that's how we should be interacting with each other. Do you understand? It's with grace. That's the fullness of the gospel here. Interacting with each other in grace. Now let's go on. He strongly urges his readers to pray for him. Now, here's what I want you to see. Verses 30 to 33, we're going to see that Paul's going to talk about them praying for him. And and here's the thing. This is how we can pray for each other, and this is especially how we can pray for our missionaries. Okay, so like this week, we've had a... This has been an interesting year in our church. Well, we've had three different missionary visits this year. All through the summer. We had, remember the beginning of the summer, we had the asthmas. We've been supporting the asthmas for 12 years. Art and I were talking about that Friday. 12 years we've been supporting the asthmas. The Koikes, remember they were just here in September, our couple to, to Japan, and uh, we've been supporting them longer than the asthmas. And here, so here, here's these folks. How do we pray for them? Well, we're going to see how Paul says to pray for them. Because he's talking about praying for himself. He strongly urges readers to pray for him with love. You and I need to be praying for folks that are just like Paul, doing ministry with love. Here's what we do. He asked them to pray for his protection in Jerusalem. So when you pray for the missionaries, is this your prayer? God bless the missionaries. God bless the asthmas. You need to pray for their protection. Why, George? Well, let's just stop for a moment. Do you guys know where the Koikes live, right? They told you they live in Sendai, Japan. What's so significant about that? Well, it was just a couple of years ago, wasn't it, that they had the earthquake and tsunami that wiped out the entire area there and the Fukushima, Fukushima nuclear plant thing? That's all right in their area, folks. Their house was damaged. You think we need to pray for their protection? What about the asthmas? They're in West Africa there. Guess what was just in the news in the last year about West Africa? Ebola. Thankfully, it didn't make it into Ghana. But do you understand what I'm saying? Do you think we need to pray for their protection? Hey, let me ask you something. Do you think you need prayed for protection? Do you know what I'm saying? Here, here, Here's the thing. Here's what I want you to see. He prayed for his protection. Acts chapter 20, verses 22 to 23. Here's what Paul, see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. That was Paul. He already knew. The Holy Spirit was telling him, you know what, you're going to have a hard time down in Jerusalem. Folks, we need to pray for, we need to, you, know, you know what I'm saying? He's asking them to pray for his protection. First thing you pray for people, protection. Here's the other thing. He asks that they pray that his service in Jerusalem would be acceptable to the church. 
He's praying for acceptance of their ministry. You know what? We need to pray that when we talk about praying for our missionaries, we need to pray, Lord, may their ministry be acceptable. May their ministry be acceptable to the people that they're reaching out to, to the church. Do you understand what I'm saying? May it be acceptable. And then here's the other one. He asked that they pray that, they, that, he, that he may joyfully come to them and have a refreshing visit. Wow, Lord, we just had the asthmas here. We just had the koikes. It's going to be two years, but can you make sure they come back safely? So that we can, we can, in, we can enjoy our time with them again. See how their families have grown. Can you bring them back safely, Lord? Here's the thing. Some of you are supporting missionaries that our church doesn't support. Are you praying for them? Lord, can we see them again? Bring them back safely? Have you noticed the world's not getting safer, folks? Nowhere's safe. Are you praying for them? Do you know what I'm saying? Are you praying for them? So then notice the blessing. He bestows a blessing on them. He finishes out his letter here. He's going to the next section, chapter 16, is his farewell. We're going to talk about that next week. But Paul bestows a blessing of peace from God upon his readers. He finishes out this chapter. Next week we're going to talk about Paul's farewell.